You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about one of our key subjects here at We Hold These Truths, and it deals with the Schofield Reference Bible, and we're entitling this Neo-Christians Use Schofield Bible to Justify War. And what prompted us was the Chuck found an article written several years ago and I'm going to have Craig introduce this person. We didn't even know where he was from. So, Craig, why don't you just tell us a little bit about this gentleman? Right. The, the article that, that Chuck found is written by an Irishman. He's written extensively in the Irish language magazine. He's written in antiwar.com, all, uh, RT. He's actually been in the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. His name, if you look at it, it's very hard to phonetically look at it and sound it out, but pronunciation at the bottom of his blog, he says, for those unfamiliar with the eccentricities of Irish orthography, that is almost everyone, my given name, it looks like Maid H.C., Midic, is simply the Irish spelling of Mike. My surname, O, and then capital C-A-T-H-A-I-L, is pronounced something like O'Cahill. So uh, we're going to be hearing the article tonight from Mike O'Cahill. Well, thanks, Craig. The title of his article is Zionism's Unchristian Bible, and he looks at the footnotes, which is what we did in our award-winning film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and Turning, Part 1. We looked beyond the, the verses that are used by Christian Zionists and analyzed them, and that's exactly what Mike O'Cahill has done here, a very valuable service. Chuck? happy to have someone talk about the subject of Christian Zionism, as many call it, and has become a kind of a popular jargon for the phenomena that has changed Christianity into a cult that basically worships this present-day state of Israel as sort of a, a God image. And we started writing about this many years ago, and we're always delighted to see somebody else pick up on the same topic. And we think it's extremely important to actually look at what the movement, which Mr. Cahill calls the Zionism's unchristian Bible, and was the Scofield Reference Bible published in 1908. Tom, you might just read a, a few little paragraphs from Mr. Cahill's story, if you care to. Okay, well, he starts out with a quote from one of the uh, footnotes, and a very familiar one out of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and the quote is, For a nation to commit the sin of anti-Semitism brings inevitable judgment. And, of course, this did not appear in the original uh, version, but was brought out later by Oxford Press, and he talks a little bit about Oxford Press. And so there actually was a, a 1980 version called the New Schofield Study Bible. And so one of the things that he says here, quote, blessing Israel, central to Christian Zionist belief is Schofield's commentary 
on Genesis 12.3. For the sake of clarity, Schofield's notes have been italicized in the following passage. Quote, I will bless them that bless thee. In fulfillment closely related to the next clause, and curse him that curses thee. Wonderfully fulfilled in the history of the dispersion. It has invariably fared ill with the people who have persecuted the Jew well with those who have protected him. The future will still more remarkably prove this principle, unquote. And that's actually a quote that we use in our film, Christian Zionism and Tragedy and Turning in the Analysis, that was done by Chuck. And so he also talks about John Hagee, who we have uh, challenged. Tom, Tom, before you launch into Hagee, uh, maybe it would be good if we uh, took a minute just to read the passage that he's referring to, because this is so important. Yes. It's considered to be the land grant that gives the present-day inhabitants of the state of Israel the right to be there. And this land grant supposedly came from God, is believed, according to John Hagee, by, uh, at one time he said 50 million American Christians. The numbers have changed a lot from year to year, but this land grant is taken out of context, of course, but it's found in page 19 of the Schofield Reference Bible, and all the footnotes are there, a whole half page of them. And the passage said, And the Lord said to Abram, Get out of thy country and from your kindred and from your father's house into the land that I will show you. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be blessed. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him who curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now that passage ends up being what is taken by Christians, traditional Christians, as a promise of a blessing that would come from Abraham's family that would be Christ. And so in this verse 3, And I will bless them, bless thee, curse them, that curse thee, and in thee, Abraham, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Always taken to mean the lineage of Jesus. I want to point out, Chuck, what you read, the unique thing about the Schofield Reference Bible, Schofield didn't write, rewrite, or retranslate the Bible. He used the King James Version. So what he did was add the footnotes. And, of course, the footnotes were modified over the years, even after he passed away in the 1920s, where his name was still kept as the editor. So it's been known as the Schofield Reference Bible, even though it's gone through several iterations since he passed away. So here's the notes to the above. God made an unconditional promise of blessing through Abram's seed, and here's where it gets sticky, to the nation of Israel to inherit a specific territory forever. Now we go back to this little passage I just read about God blessing Abraham for leaving his family and going forth into a new land. But in the mind of the neo-Christian of today, the Christian Zionist, as John Hagee calls himself, is the same to them as saying that God made an unconditional promise to the nation of Israel to inherit a specific territory forever. Now, in the words of, of the Bible passage, the nation of Israel is not mentioned anywhere. As a matter of fact, at the time 
that Abraham was receiving his briefing from God himself, there was no word Israel because Israel turned out to be a grandson of Abraham named Israel eventually. So the Schofield Reference Bible simply imputes that into the message and says that this is talking about the state of Israel, not just the man Israel, but the state of Israel. The second note to that passage, there was a promise of blessings upon those individuals and nations who blessed Abram's descendants and a curse laid upon those who persecuted. And here's the really terrific change that Schofield just took a big gulp and did this, who persecuted the Jews. So again, here back in the days of Abraham, there was no word called Jew. There was no man called Judah. There was no place called Judea. There was simply nothing with Jew in it. And yet uh, the Scofield Bible simply imputes that this promise is made to the present day people who we think of as Jews. And based upon this, of course, 50 million Christians support the idea that Israel can do no wrong when it comes to the Palestinian people. I'm sure some of our listeners wonder why we spend so much time talking about an insignificant, unimportant, fiscally and financially unimportant and minor state called Israel when there's so much going on in in the real world of big and powerful places. But the reason is that 50 million Christian Zionists in America believe these words, and they won't let us forget it. They keep bringing up this notion that the state of Israel can do no wrong. And, of course, from that, we have a continuous series of wars which are largely promoted and supported and invariably behind-the-scenes supported by the present-day militaristic state of Israel. One of the things we want to point out, Chuck, is that what we call a form of dispensationalism or Christian Zionism is a promoted religion. And so those practicing Judaism today can use this claim here of Abraham saying they have the land, but the followers of Jesus Christ were given the New Testament. And so we need to look at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament And one of the examples that we've used before and talked about is found in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, written by a disciple of Jesus named Paul. Saul was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before his conversion. But a very significant verse here that is hard to refute, chapter 3, verse 16 Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. So Christ is the benefactor that we worship here, and uh, that is further corroborated further on down uh, in his chapter 3 here by Paul, that in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying there that God is not a racist. And so what we see with Christian Zionists saying that the land grant uh, that is supposedly given to modern Jews indicates that God has a preference 
that he's a racist. He puts one group above another. Very good, very good. So we see uh, very clear statements here. If we look at the clarity of New Testament scripture and then compare it to these vague promises that we find in Abraham, as Tom said, since one book is many thousands of years old, the other one is relatively modern, less than 2,000 years old, and we actually have copies of it, that being the New Testament. We have Greek copies of the book of Galatians, which Tom made reference to. So Tom's statement that we need to view the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament is very much true and practical, and it makes sense from the standpoint of Bible studies and from many other scientific or historical study. You always have to look at the most recent document as being probably the more reliable source and then view the older documents through that lens and try to figure out exactly how they fit and how, what they mean. And, of course, looking at the Galatians, we have the Apostle Paul totally correcting the people in his era who wanted to say that Abraham was speaking of a whole new Jewish nation. He wanted to point out that God was talking about one person only as the seed. And that, in Greek, I guess the word seed is singular. We in English can use uh, seed as being plural as well. But he pointed out that Jesus was the seed that Abraham was talking about back in, on page 19 of the Old Testament. So uh, we find all kinds of efforts then in the Schofield Reference Bible and other mind-bending Bibles like them to change New Testament scripture as well. You basically have some scripture that are just where the footnotes simply tell you you shouldn't pay attention to this. It's said in various different ways, but, but the Schofield Bible, its editors, of course, went on through many editions, and Oxford University Press was the kingpin and became the owner and still is the owner of this incredibly successful Bible. But in the, in the book of James, there's a footnote in one passage where James uh, is talking about viewing people based upon how they perform and what they do, not what they say about their Christianity, but how they act it out. And uh, the footnote to that says James, in this passage, uses the word faith in the sense of intellectual orthodoxy. Paul, when he uses faith, is using it in a personal sense, meaning trust in the atoning works of Christ. And then it goes on and, and elaborates on that, but it makes one very blunt statement here. James has been charged with contradicting the doctrine of justification by faith. So here the Schofield Bible uses a footnote which uses the word charge, which is, a, of course, a legal word. The last thing that happens to you before you go to court is you get charged for a crime. So that's the effort that's made here to sort of nullify and neutralize the words, that, the interpretations of the book of James. We find this all through the New Testament. Okay, and we want to kind of continue the thread here with this concept of uh, supporting war, the neo-Christian support for war. They use their interpretation of the Bible to justify these actions, and of course it's all about protecting Israel and uh, wanting to uh, bring about end times somehow with 
with human intervention, they're going to short-circuit what God's uh, promised and are uh, somehow thinking that they're going to be able to be raptured out. That's a common concept that uh, there will be no tribulation by Christians. They'll all be raptured out. This is uh, held by uh, many of the uh, Christian Zionists. There's a gamut of, of belief systems. Uh, and so the Bible can be used to justify anything. And we've seen that from a number of Christian Zionists that have justified the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, for example. And we've talked about this numerous times in our programs that these counter what Jesus taught. So again, this concept of filtering the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament is so important, particularly since we are followers of Jesus Christ and his teaching to love our neighbor as ourselves, love even our enemies, and blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There seems to be a disconnect with the the Christian Zionist theology, if you will, from what Jesus stands for. Irish writer Mike Cathal kind of closes his article uh, with several paragraphs. He says, if there had been no Schofield Bible, American presidents influenced by Christian Zionism, such as Truman, Johnson, Reagan, George W. Bush, would most likely have been less sympathetic to Israel's demands and consequently more attentive to U.S. interests. Moreover, the American people might have been spared the well-publicized pro-Israel rants of John Hagee, Pat Robertson, and the late Jerry Falwell, not to mention the lucrative end times prophecy peddling of Hal Lindsey and Tim LaHaye. So uh, Irishman Cathal has got, uh, got these guys pretty well pegged, doesn't he? Absolutely. He certainly does. I do have a comment, Tom. A while back, you know, several years ago, I, I was always along the same belief that Israel should be supported no matter what, and I was supportive of the wars until I started learning myself, seeing inconsistencies in, in the way Israel was formed by an occultic family, the Rothschilds, you know, how they put so much into forming them. That really caused me consternation until I started studying what this Schofield Bible was all about. And for me, I consider Schofield kind of a false prophet in that this whole deception that's going on is part of the deception of the elect that's talked about in Matthew. Uh, there's a verse, Matthew 24:24. I want to read real quick. It says, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. I was totally in the belief that we need to support Israel, and I supported the Iraq War until I started understanding the occultic nature behind it and, and what this Schofield Bible really is doing. And, and now that I've come to learn through the references on, on whtt.org, there's a Schofield documentation and kind of enlightened me. I consider this deception, we need to support the nation of Israel no matter what, as uh, is, is part of this Schofield Bible and how it, it led us all to believe that. That's a perfect passage there out of Matthew. Even the elect are being deceived, and we see that so much by prominent preachers out there that are well-known. We could run a big list here that right. have fallen into this trap. And I think 
Craig's approach has been very good because Craig kind of came out of the same thinking, and so he wants to give people the benefit of the doubt. And a lot of people have been deceived, and uh, we gently need to nudge them out of this deception. Now, this is not a easy thing to do. It's very, very difficult. And yeah, years, years to overcome it. Yes. Craig, you want to well, comment? What, yeah, what's interesting, at least in my experience, it's very hard to find open-minded people in the premillennial dispensational movement. If you start asking questions, anger is what usually comes at you, which is kind of interesting. You're supposed to be representing Jesus, and this anger, it's like, like you're you're uh, trying to knock down this whole house of cards, and they're afraid if they agree on one point, this whole edifice that they've built is going to come crashing down, which it probably would. But the point of it is that they're very afraid to even look at something objectively. And to me, that, that says volumes on, on, on what their, their, their faith is based on. That's a very good point. I mean, it, it is true that people are deceived and do come out of deception many times, I know in the case of my father-in-law who passed away about 20 years ago, he was a, certainly a dedicated Christian, but his daughter, one of his daughters, a sister-in-law to me, said, well, they were Christian Zionists. I said, well, you know, they were true followers of Jesus. They had been deceived you know, on a, a number of things, but that was not a focus for them because they were followers and doers of the word. So they set an example, but in that case, she recognized that they were Christian Zionists, but not in the sense of what we think today is like a John Hagee or so dogmatic. I think if I understood myself at the time, I probably could have argued fairly effectively to convince them that what is being passed off as Christian Zionism today is is a, a literally a promoted religion and provides a lot of false hope for people. Tom, because there is this sensitivity among those who have been caught up in the Zionist cult, they're very, very touchy about words. And that's why uh, even though Christian Zionism has become now a common jargon that's, that's used by a lot of people, and John Hagee calls himself a Christian Zionist, a lot of our friends, we can approach them a little bit better if we're careful about our verbiage. And so we began to use other terms, and uh, we started using the term neo-Christian a little while ago. So uh, for our uh, loyal, faithful readers, we hope we don't confuse you by talking about neo-Christians, because that includes an awful lot of people who are really not philosophical, dedicated Zionists. They really don't care about the state of Israel, particularly one way or another. They've just been taught that it somehow is wrapped up in the Bible. And we're trying to unlatch that connection between a false political state, a man by people who have no relationship to the original Israelites and uh, don't even really practice the same religion. Well, Chuck, don't you think we should give a little definition of what neo-Christianity is? I mean, it's... Neo-Christianity, in terms that we use it, could mean a lot of different derivatives of this, but we would say it's those who believe that the physical state of Israel is somehow wrapped up in biblical prophecy. It doesn't quite matter how you think it's wrapped into biblical prophecy. It's just the notion that there's something holy about the present-day state of Israel that's different from 
any other country. And uh, that is what we call neo-Christianity. But that's an example of a neo-Christianity. Isn't really neo-Christianity a newer form of Christianity? And it could be anything, worshiping snakes, you know, that they have some kind of power. Some of these cults would be neo-Christian. So Christian Zionism would be a form of neo-Christianity, something that's relatively new because it's only about 200 years old. The whole concept of dispensationalism and, and Christian Zionism is relatively new in the scheme of things. It's another term is, is, is in, popping up in my mind is passive-aggressive Christianity. <laughs> it's like a new neurotic form. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a very good That's, the observation. Passive-aggressive. <laughs> Because it's like, you know, it's like, uh, that's what I felt like. Oh, we shouldn't support war, but we've got to support Israel. You know, it's like it becomes a passive aggressiveness. And if they get mad, they come out, it's almost a passive aggressive madness that's coming out at you when you challenge them. Well, thanks, everybody, for those comments. We hope we've sparked some interest. We hope if you've not seen our award-winning video Christian Zionism, the tragedy and turning, please go to our website, whtt.org, and you can find it there. Chuck, would you like to leave us with a parting word? Yes, it's always a a great pleasure to see somebody who's written something that we think is good and that sounds a lot like us. And it makes us feel like maybe we had a contribution to this. And uh, this this Irishman uh, named Cathal has done a good job, and, and we've written to him, and we hope to encourage him. We also note that uh, in recent years, we've seen several books that have actually quoted us on the subject of Christian Zionism or that have referred to some of the way we express things. One of these that we'd like to recommend is These Brothers of Mine by Rob Dalrymple, a pastor, uh, The Biblical Theology of the Land and the Family, and a response to Christian Zionism, someone we've gotten to know, and, and then recently a evangelical Lutheran professor at one of the colleges named Robert O. Smith wrote, More Desired Than Our Own Salvation, The Roots of Christian Zionism. And there have been several other new books about it in recent years and even recent months. And so we encourage you to read more about it. And we're grateful for others who are picking up the torch. Well, thanks, Chuck. And we will put links on the uh, introduction here to these books. And also, we have a very excellent podcast of an interview with Dr. Rob Dalrymple. It's quite interesting. I think you'll enjoy it a lot. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.